Rocks Mosette, welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech. Pleased to be joined by co-author with me on the book, Modern Monopolies, and managing director, Nick Johnson. Nick, great to have you. Good to be here. Lots to talk about today. Oh, yeah. So we're going to have a very auto-centric uh, series of topics today. Let's kind of start off with easily the most exciting bit of news, which is that one of our clients, Massey Motors, has made a strategic investment into a leading used car marketplace in Latin America. And Applico Capital has co-invested alongside our client Massey into the startup called Curbo. Co-author and managing director at Applico, Nick Johnson, uh, he's here with us. Nick, you really led the work that we've been doing with Massey and now Curbo. Uh, so tell us more about this. Yeah, so Massey is uh, one of the leading, if not the leading new car dealership in Colombia uh, and much of the Caribbean as well. Uh, and this was really a big opportunity for them in used cars. We kind of helped look at the landscape and what we really identified is the shift happening from the kind of old school sort of classifieds model to this new model, which Kerber operates in, which is really end to end. They're in the money flow of the transaction. They're not just referring leads out. They're actually facilitating the whole experience from you know, inspection, test drive, payment, delivery of the vehicle. Um, it's a much better end-to-end -end user experience. And Curbo has really strong technology. They've got a great team. Uh, they're based out of the Dominican Republic. Um, and we're really excited uh, uh, to have co-invested in with them, uh, with Massey Curbo. David O'Brien, the CEO of Massey Motors, uh, had some nice things to say about the work that we did with them. He said, we engaged with Applico because our organization aligned on purpose and values. They were able to educate us about the tech landscape and present such a compelling opportunity that we wanted to deploy capital in addition to just entering a strategic partnership. When Applico said they'd also want to co-invest alongside us, that was affirmation of the fact that we had truly found a long-term partner in Applico. Uh, so some very nice words there from David. Really a testament, I think, to, to the work that both companies did, Applico and uh, the Massey Motors team, to get this across the finish line. It's a very big deal for a traditional car dealer to actually say, hey, I'm going to embrace this used car marketplace business model, right? I see this coming into my my industry, my part of the world. And how do we get out in front of this um, and actually make this an asset rather than, uh, you know, a kind of detriment um, and, and a weak spot in terms of how we operate in, in Colombia, but then eventually other markets in Latin America as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a big opportunity. A lot of the, the what we see is the Cavax uh, of the world in Latin America. That's Carvana and others who we'll talk about in a minute in the U.S. But this kind of trend towards sales going online has been hugely accelerated by the pandemic and just the dissatisfaction with the typical dealer experience. Um, and this kind of digital user experience is, is kind of the future. And, uh, you know, Massey and us started working together because we kind of identified that and really saw that, that future coming. And, uh, you know, Massey, to their credit, really said, we got to get ahead of this um, and be kind of leading the charge here rather than, than uh, you know, waiting till the industry shifts. So super exciting. Uh, really excited to be in partnership with both Massey and Curbo on this. And I think the opportunity here is not just for Massey. You know, Massey really being, as you mentioned, the largest car dealer uh, in Colombia, but other 
car dealers can also partner and work with Kerbo as well. That's what we found was so interesting, or one of the things about Kerbo's business model is that it's actually there to, to work with the car dealer as opposed to other business models, which we're going to talk about later, that are trying to completely cut out the car dealer from the transaction, which which maybe in some markets, like in the US, you've got Carvana, we're trying to just go direct, um, actually don't really have a marketplace model at all, um, and are cutting out car dealerships from that transaction. But, you know, Latin America is different. You know, it's difficult to just somewhat replicate the exact model that you see working in, say, the US, and then just bring that to uh, these other kind of emerging Latin American markets. Definitely. I think one, one of the things that Kerbo uh, does really well, their technology is super strong and it's really focused on enabling dealers. Um, whereas, you know, the Kavaks and Carvanas of the world are trying to supplant the dealer. Kerbo and the, the, the business model that they represent is really about how do we enable dealers and build this marketplace. So as we mentioned, Applico is also a, a co-investor. You know, this has become a bigger and bigger part of what we do, being both an advisor to a large enterprise like Massey, and then also saying, well, hey, why wouldn't we also want to invest alongside our clients into the deals that we're helping them forge with these tech companies? Um, and so Matt, uh, Kerbo is a great example of that. We're really excited uh, for us to also partner with Kerbo and the team there, help them kind of dominate Colombia and then beyond. Carvana, a, a leading digital car seller in the United States, just announced a $2 billion acquisition to buy a car auction site to get more into used car sales, which is their existing business model. So what's going on with that? Let's find out. So, you know, there's some confusion, I think, around uh, Carvana. You read this TechCrunch article, they call Carvana a used car marketplace, which Carvana is not a used car marketplace. Carvana is buying used cars, fixing them up a little bit, and then reselling them. And they've got those nice like elevator type retail stores that, you know, catch people's eye while they're driving by. They've done a very good job with marketing. IPO'd like five years ago at 11 bucks a share. Stock's been cratering the past year or so, um, but it's still at like, you know, a hundred bucks a share, even even though in in twenty twenty one it, it it peaked at like three hundred sixty dollars a share, right? So hasn't had a good ride in the past year or so, but certainly from IPO days, it's it's still up. I'm joined here by Nick Johnson, co-author and managing director at Applico. Nick, what is this thing that they bought, and you know, does it make sense to you? Is this a good is this a good deal? Odessa is the kind of wholesale auction marketplace, so it's typically you know, salvage vehicles, repossessed vehicles, insurance companies, dealers selling, you know, vehicles they can't sell to other dealers. It's wholesale. So it's fully B2B. Um, it used to be owned by, or it was being sold by a company called Car Global, uh, spelled K-A-R, who has basically a conglomerate of software businesses kind of around the services for dealers and these sorts of things. Um, and Odessa uh, is being bought basically by Carvana from Car Global. Uh, I think you know one of the challenges that uh, Odessa has had in the U.S. and why Car might be looking to exit that investment is you have some new up-and-coming businesses like ACV Auctions that have done really well in this B2B auction space for vehicles. Um, so I think on the car on the car side, that might be why this makes sense. And on the Carvana side, the game is inventory, and can they get access to more inventory from these wholesale channels? 
And that's why I think they're really going after this, you know, fairly sizable acquisition for them of Adessa. Adessa is going to give them a lot more of these inventory from B2B sources, which then they hope they're going to be able to sell to Carvana customers. Yeah, it's an interesting play where, yeah, as you were saying with ACV, yes, it's wholesale, but but the magic is it's really dealer to dealer. So you're still selling small quantities of cars, maybe just one car, maybe a few cars. You're providing liquidity to car dealers that get a lot of trade-ins, right? So I'm a Ford dealer. Someone's got a GM. I'll let you trade in your GM car, but I'm not going to sell that GM car as a Ford dealer out to a consumer, you know, but I go and trade that and go and use ACV to go and, you know, kind of do that deal with another dealer. Seems like car uh, Adessa maybe was doing some of that business, but really ACV was, you know, taking the lead in that arena. Is that what you're saying, Nick? Adessa has been around a lot longer than ACV. ACV is, you know, there, and there's a couple other of these competitors. ACV is kind of the new kid on the block that has really been taken off, you know, as a startup, VC funded startup over the last five years. Adessa uh, is a bit of a legacy business compared to that. They, you know, their roots are in kind of physical auctions. They have 56 sites that Carvana is acquiring where they inspect and, you know, actually host physical auctions of the vehicles. They also, of course, now have a digital presence. Um, but, it, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a sort of uh, analog platform come become digital over time. Um, so, it, you know, that, that's the challenge there is that, that, you know, some of the newcomers in that business, and there's some other big players there as well, uh, that that it's it's becoming more crowded and having a you know a, an off ramp for a lot of their inventory in a Carvana um, from a synergy perspective I could see how that makes sense Carvana also then gets the 56 you know physical sites where they can inspect and recondition vehicles um, which is part of the 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 Adessa business that feeds naturally into what Carvana wants to do which is sell high quality used inventory you know through its vending machine so the, the, from the Carvana perspective it's more inventory physical infrastructure to scale the business. Uh, so you know, I, I can see the, the combination logic from that point of view. Can they digitize this kind of more traditional business? Kind of reminds me of like Ritchie Brothers doing, you know, heavy equipment auctions in person, right? Yeah, it's a marketplace. Um, it's just not <laughs> much of a digital marketplace, but yeah, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's an old school marketplace. Can can Carvana help digi- help help make that digital execution be successful to thwart rising disruptors like ACV? And yet at the same time, you know, with Carvana's uh, access to consumers, could they now provide a more attractive uh, pricing option in the wholesale channel if if they can successfully kind of connect those dots? Makes sense. You know, seems like it comes down to some, some execution. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of funny that it's kind of funny to see the linear player Carvana, which many people, including TechCrunch, get confused with as a marketplace, you know, to kind of now move from linear business into marketplace business, albeit in the, in the B2B space. Um, so an interesting pairing for sure. It's a, a big bet from Carvana. Uh, you know, 2.2 billion is, I think, got to be the biggest acquisition they've made. So it's a big bet and we'll see how it pays off. I think all these things we're talking about lead into the next topic, which is you're seeing automakers make a big push to 
particularly in the U.S., try to go direct to the consumer and sell, essentially sell around dealerships. And that's a big deal. So when we look at Carvana's business, which we just spoke about, Carvana is now a top 10 U.S. retailer uh, by e-commerce sales. It'll be the eighth largest U.S. retailer by online sales, passing Best Buy and Costco. I mean, they have a little bit of an unfair advantage because they're selling, you know, their average order size is so big, but still a testament to, you know, this, this kind of digitization of buying and selling cars. We also spoke about the investment that our client Massey and that Applico Capital made into Curbo, a used car marketplace in Latin America. But, you're, you know, it's all kind of building on this trend of, of these automakers and OEMs looking also at Tesla saying, hey, you know, I want to sell direct. There's a report here. Auto industry leaders fully expect a major shift in retailing. Auto industry executives foresee a major shift to online auto sales by 2030 with a steep rise in automaker direct to consumer sales. This is really speaking to, you know, the U.S., maybe European markets, as opposed to, say, more emerging markets like Latin America. Um, but you can still, right, you can see where this is headed over the next number of years here in the U.S. The situation, I mean, with COVID and the supply chain woes and just insane demand shortage of supply is further exacerbating this issue. And you're seeing now many dealers adding additional money on top of MSRP. And so there's an article just in the Wall Street Journal in the past couple of weeks saying Ford and GM warned dealers to stop charging so much for new cars. Automakers are trying to curb the practice, practice of adding fees to the suggested retail price, uh, saying the tactic could cost dealerships future vehicle inventory. So the automakers are not happy about dealers adding dollars on top of MSRP. But I mean, at the same time, is there, I mean, are these automakers really looking at the situation fairly, Nick? Because I mean, the the dealers aren't getting the same levels of inventory that they used to be getting, right? So if the, if the dealers aren't getting as much inventory to sell, and then the automakers are saying, well, you can't raise your prices, you know, isn't there some kind of rub here? Should the automakers be as critical of the dealers um, as they are being? It's an interesting tension here. I think the, the, auto, the automakers are saying, look, you're hurting our brand long term. Customers are complaining to us. They're unhappy that they think you're price gouging them because you know, no, no time in recent memory of consumers had to play above sticker price. They're used to paying below that because they've got you know, promotions and deals. Now the environment is flipped because of the semiconductor shortage where there's not enough new vehicles. Demand is outstripped supply. So the the uh, the auto dealers are saying, well, what do you expect us to do? We've got you know ten people that wants this one car. Of course, I'm going to sell it to the one that'll give me an extra you know two thousand dollars, or will also take financing because that's going to make me you know an extra you know x amount of dollars on the commission from the financing. Which is another thing they talk about is yeah you know, some dealers saying we won't give up the financing commission. So if you want to buy the car, you can't buy it cash. Um, from the, the automaker perspective. That's not a good user experience. The automakers increasingly want to have this direct relationship with customers. You know, you see them all launching their apps, their digital services. Automakers are unhappy because it's hurting their brand. Dealers are saying, well, this is just supply and demand. There's a shortage here. And I'm not going to give up margin because I, I have to, I've got to make up on margin what I'm not going to get on volume because I don't have as many cars. 
you automaker aren't giving me as many cars, so this is your fault. Um, but I think that the tension ultimately is it's hurting the automaker's brand because at the end of the day, uh, you know, they're not associating it with you know you local dealer. They're associating it with you Ford or GM. That's who the customers are really complaining to. Um, so I think this is something that may inadvertently start to push more and more OEMs to seriously say, well, let's just go direct. We can control these things ourselves in an online environment where sales are increasingly shifting to. You lose the local advantage. The advantage the dealer has is, you know, I'm down the street. So if you want to buy a car, you don't have to go across the state to get to me. But if I can pick out my car, uh, direct orders from the, the OEM, the automaker are increasing. So meaning rather than picking up what's on the lot, you're ordering it, uh, you know, directly, and you can pick out all the features you want, and then it gets, you know, made and shipped. Uh, so I think I think that that's increasing, and you're seeing a lot more OEMs just start to see the logic of in an online world. Only thing I really need the dealer for at best is just you know, pickup of the vehicle, drop off of the vehicle, and if I'm a dealer, that role in the value chain isn't really going to support my cost structure long term. So you know, you're seeing a big shift, and I think this is a symptom of this tension that we're seeing play out between OEMs wanting to go direct and dealers trying to maintain their, you know, their position and saying, well, you know, what do you expect me to do? You're not giving me enough cars. And, and, and I mean, you know, to be fair, the dealers have already been squeezed on making any money from selling of new cars. And so for years they've shifted their business model over to, to make money on the servicing. Right. So is this just a continuation of of like just another step in the chain of them losing? Yeah. The the selling of new cars as a source of value seems like it seems like it's being accelerated or could be accelerated by, you know, these kinds of uh, uh, activities prompted by this, you know, supply chain shortage and and issues. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're not selling new cars um, at all in 20 years, let's say that will, you know, and that will, that will fundamentally change, uh, what that dealership business model is. It's going to be a lot of change for dealerships. I think the, you know, the, the ones in the U S and more industrialized nations are going to be dealing with this first. Uh, but in the interim, a lot of opportunity in the, in the car market, right? Where, where these threats exist, also lies a lot of opportunity. So be very interesting to see how it all plays out. And used cars is an area where we're clearly seeing a lot of opportunity, a lot of fragmentation, fits that marketplace business model, but also have many examples of linear companies doing quite well there uh, as well. Yeah, I think the, the OEMs see that too. You had GM just last month announced that they're going to launch their own car marketplace for used cars called Car Bravo. Um, you know, helping them compete with, uh, you know, Carvanas and Vrooms of the world. So that that's, you know, it's going to include dealers in the way they've announced it. But if I'm an OEM and I'm establishing a direct digital relationship, uh, you know, that's a red line that, that uh, you know, if I'm in putting my dealer hat on, that uh, I'm not thrilled to see uh, OEMs crossing increasingly. Nick, thanks for joining. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.